Welcome to the Weekly Berean, hosted by Berean Community Church. Join us as we give pastoral addresses on pressing issues. The Christian citizen lets the state be the state, the church be the church, and the family be the family. The Christian citizen, therefore, does not allow one to overlap the other. The Christian citizen promotes all three of these institutions while keeping them distinct. Principled living as disciples of Christ in our respective nations. Brians, I thank you for not being lost in the pseudo-worlds of Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I know that some of us receive instruction from teachers, preachers, and conversationalists through internet avenues. Gone are the days when pastors were the primary teaching influences in the lives of church members. It's likely that you listen to men or women that God has not appointed to teach you his word and watch over your soul. The rise of the celebrity preacher has morphed into the age of Christian influencers through podcasts, YouTube, and Instagram. I assume this to be true for every member of our church. I know I myself listen to hours of lectures and discussions and sermons for men who are not elders in Berean Community Church. One of the current topics in these virtual church halls of the internet is the Christian's role in the political sphere of the nation. And by nation, I mean the United States of America. Much of this discussion has circled around the term Christian nationalism. One book on this subject is entitled The Case for Christian Nationalism. I think that book and its argument, its definitions, can serve as a starting point for conversation. I've listened to the audio version of this book, as well as listened to some discussions about the book and its argument. I find points of agreement with the case for Christian nationalism, but I also find points of difference. As Protestant Christians, we have historic confessions that also add something of a definition or starting points. The American appendix to the Westminster Confession includes a statement on the civil magistrate. In section 23 of the Westminster Confession of the American version, we read, Civil magistrates may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and sacraments, or the power of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, or, in the least, interfere in matters of faith. Yet, as nursing fathers, it is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the church of our common Lord, without giving the preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest, in such a manner that all ecclesiastical persons, whatever shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of discharging every part of their sacred functions without violence or danger. 
And as Jesus Christ hath appointed a regular government and discipline in his church, no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, let, or hinder the due exercise thereof among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians according to their own profession and belief. The last three years has left many of us, I include myself, needing to clarify our understanding of the church's relationship with its respective state. And I find the discussions to, on the whole, be necessary and helpful. But I do have a concern. One of my concerns does circle around the issue of Christian nationalism. I am afraid in the discussion there are going to be Christian brothers who are of general like mind on the topic, yet their small matters of difference will cause them to splinter. This ought not be. I surely do not want it to happen in our church. I'd like for our church to be able to interact with one another as well as other Christians outside of our church on the basis of principles for how we should think and engage in this particular issue. We can behave in conversations with our brethren, whether it's in-personal conversations or online conversations, in a manner that pleases the Lord and is rooted to His Word. We can think about these, indeed, highly charged subjects in a way that is biblical and logical and resist emotional reactions. I therefore suggest an initial shift in the discussion is to consider being Christian citizens of our nation, not just considering what it would mean for America to be a formally explicit confessing Christian nation, say, the way England is. So this is a short introduction of what I am calling a case for Christian citizenship. I presume that we think a Christian nation would be better than a pagan nation. I presume that our nation has been established as a constitutional republic promising freedom of religion. I only aim to make the case for Christians to be citizens and therefore Christian citizens in our nation in the same way other Christians and their respective nations would also think of being Christian citizens of their respective nation. I have six aspects of the case for Christian citizenship. I realize each one of these is quite brief. More could be said, but at least this will make a case. First, The Christian citizen knows the New Testament teaches him to be faithful citizens in their nation state. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 16 reads, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. 
love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We are citizens of this earthly realm in real time, not in theory. We're told how to live as citizens, though we know we are free people. Our freedom is real, yet we use it as a slave of God. As God's slaves, we honor the emperors that God in his providential rule puts over us. Everyone else in the place of honor, we honor. This is how we are instructed to live as Christian citizens in our respective nations. Number two, the Christian citizen knows the New Testament records governments or states hating and hurting faithful disciples of Christ. We are Christians because Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins by the state. We know that two states were guilty of the murder of Jesus that brought us reconciliation, Israel and the Roman Empire. States killed Jesus. States killed all of the apostles, including John, though he died while imprisoned, he was imprisoned by the state. The first Christian martyr was killed by the Jewish authorities. We should not desire such anti-Christian states, but God clearly has been pleased when his saints suffer like his beloved son, unjustly and at the hand of the state. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 19 through 24. Christian citizenship includes the testimony of the early Christians lighting Caesar's lawn as they were burned to death. Christian citizenship includes doing good to your fellow citizen by living faithfully to Jesus in your state and national duties, even though you are unjustly persecuted. I do not think the primary issue of focus in the New Testament is a Christian nation or Christian nationalism, but rather Christian citizenship. Number three, the Christian citizen obeys Christ instead of his state when the state commands disobedience to Christ. The apostles told their civil authorities that they will not choose to obey the state when it requires them to disobey Jesus because the state commanded them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus when Jesus commanded them to indeed preach the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so in Acts chapter 4 verses 19 through 20, we witness the apostles disobeying their state because they must obey Jesus. Christian citizens obey God over all other authorities, and thus civil disobedience is a possibility for the Christian citizen. We pray for our rulers to pass laws that are keeping with God's word so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives, as Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. But when the state forbids us from doing what Christ commands us, we disobey the state. Number four, 
the Christian citizen operates with Jesus as Lord over all. Jesus Christ presently has the name that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow to. Philippians 2 verses 9 through 11. Jesus is seated over every rule, authority, and kingdom. Ephesians 1 verses 20 through 23. This is the present reality of the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus, though it is not presently seen here on earth. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8. It is, however, seen by the Christian through faith in the word of God. And it will be seen when God brings the fullness of Christ to fill all the world. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 through 23. Therefore, the Christian citizen lives toward his state, knowing that Christ is over all who have positions of authority. Romans 13. The Christian knows that his state will be brought to a place of submission to Jesus. Psalm 2. The Christian knows that those who hold positions of authority in the state will face God's judgment for their decisions in their respective offices in the government. The Christian lives as a citizen who trusts God's judgment of his state and thus is never a revolutionary citizen. He is, however, a reforming citizen. Number five, the Christian citizen knows the Old Testament and New Testament teaching on God's moral vision of the world. The Christian citizen knows that it is God who establishes right and wrong in all areas of life, which include politics and economics. This world is God's world. Christian citizens know that no nation outside of Israel can claim to be the promised Abrahamic covenant nation. But the Christian citizen knows that God's moral law and even the general equity of the Mosaic law serves all nations to know how to rule so that their citizens are governed by righteous laws. The Christian citizen thinks of his nation as under obligation to do what is right in their delegated realm. God's law teaches that what is right is the love of neighbor, the protection of the righteous, and the punishment of the lawbreaker. This has been explicitly given to the state as its God-ordained role in creation. The opening of Genesis 9 and Romans 13 clearly declare that God has ordained the state to swing the sword. The Christian citizen does not have an atheistic view of his government, its laws, and its authorities. He has a God-centered one. That includes God's moral law serving as the standard for his respective governmental authorities to be judged by. Christian citizens vote and live according to God's standards. If a Christian citizen took on the greater responsibility that would come with holding a civil office, then that Christian, now as an office holder, would govern 
his actions and decisions by God's moral vision. The moral vision of the Christian citizen is the moral vision of God's revelation in his word. Lastly, the Christian citizen lets the state be the state, the church be the church, and the family be the family. These are the three institutions that God has ordained. There is a relationship between these three God-ordained institutions such that they can be antagonistic to one another or complementary to the other. Indeed, when they rightly relate to one another under God's authority, they are going to promote righteousness in the other and not step over the boundaries of their respective sphere sovereignty. A Christian citizen knows that God did not give the sword in vain to the state, but rather so that the state would punish the guilty and protect the innocent. The Christian citizen knows God has not given the sword to the church, nor to the Father. The Christian citizen knows that it is the responsibility of the church to teach and preach the word of God, to baptize believers, and to officiate the Lord's Supper. The Christian citizen knows that God did not give children to the village, but to their father and mother. And he commands the father to bring his children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The Christian citizen promotes all three of these institutions while keeping them distinct. The Christian citizen lets the state be the state, the church be the church, and the family be the family. The Christian citizen, therefore, does not allow one to overlap the other and try to execute authority in a realm that God has not given to it. So in closing, I just have six aspects of Christian citizenship. I think clearly each one of us should understand our obligation before God whether we live in a nation that comes to confess Christ as Lord explicitly in willful submission, or if it comes to continue warring against the Son, we are commanded to be citizens of God's kingdom while also being citizens of our earthly nation. So I suggest that when we consider the new clarity needed to operate faithfully as disciples of Jesus in our present nation, we need to first think as Christian citizens. Sola Dea Gloria.